Hi, I'm Steph, and this is the Money Flirt Podcast. The Money Flirt was born from the idea that we all deserve to have a lighthearted, flirty, and fun relationship with money. My personal journey with money was anything but flirty up until fairly recently. A few years ago, I started to investigate the ways that I was programmed since childhood to think and behave around money. I've since done a ton of work on this area of my life in the form of coaching, spirituality, embodiment practices, nervous system regulation, and a lot more. Yes, I've done a lot, but in the past year, I've skyrocketed my money healing by doing one very simple yet powerful action on a regular basis. I openly talk about money. Shame cannot exist when light is cast upon it, and this has truly been my secret sauce for up-leveling my money habits and feelings around wealth. So I'm here to create a space for people to talk with me about their money story. I'm here to champion the brave souls who acknowledge their shame and to cheer on their success as well. No matter who you are, where you're from, or what you did, you have a money story. Time for the obligatory, let's get into the episode. Hey everybody, welcome back to another episode of the Money Flirt Podcast. I just keep going. I just keep going. Oh man, I do love making these episodes. It's just been such a fun, this whole thing has been such a fun experiment. I was reflecting recently on how the inspiration for creating this podcast actually came from, well, obviously my money a journey, but um, a few years ago, I would say like maybe f- five or six, I began my body image healing journey. So many journeys. Um, so like, I remember when I first heard a podcast called Food Psych, and the host, Christy Harrison, is such an incredible resource if you are struggling with any body image um, issues. She's just, her podcast does one thing really, really well. And that's what I aim to do with mine as well, inspired by hers. What she does is she asks the same question that I ask about money, but she asks it about food. So her first question is always, or at least it was, I'm not sure I haven't listened to it in a while, but she used to always ask, tell me about your relationship with food growing up. And I remember that She asks that of every single guest, and as I would binge her content, it was the tidal wave, like having an abundance of experiences that I could see myself in, that I could listen to their stories and connect with part of what they were saying. And at the time, I didn't know, I couldn't articulate that that's what I needed. I needed, but I needed that exorbitant amount of exorbitant, exorbitant, I don't know, multitude of ex- of exposure to other people who were dealing with body image and shame around it and telling about their story over and over and over like here going back and just listening to so many stories was essential for my subconscious to hear that other people are going through these things and so i felt less alone and i you know fast forward many years Later, when I thought about creating um, a podcast about money healing, I knew that I wanted to do the same format where I can provide the tidal wave for you, for the listeners, for the community, so that 
you, when you find the podcast, you can go back and listen to all the tidal wave of examples of people talking about their money shame and how shitty they've felt about money or how they just have gone through the ringer with money. And so you have now an abundance of examples of people talking through their money shame so that you know you're less alone. Um, And so I just was thinking about how that podcast, Food Psych, was so important to me. And now I'm so excited to be offering something in my own way with a different journey um, to, to you all as listeners. And so that's kind of a little inspiration moment of how, you know, all of these things, the first part of healing anything is just acknowledging that you deal with it and that you also have, um, something in common with others that your pain is not unique and not to sound harsh about it, but like, yeah, your pain, like other people go through similar, emotions and have similar experience, similar enough experiences that you can connect. And that's just the beauty of doing all of this as a group together. Yeah. So just wanted to talk about that today. Um, I'm going to keep the intro pretty short because I want to get you into the conversation with Erin Monahan. She's such a fun uh, voice in the community, money, healing, entrepreneurship, um, anti-capitalist business frameworks. So you're going to hear all about how she approaches her own business and how she's gone through and examined parts of her money story that were partly inherited and mostly systemic. So yeah, excited to introduce you to Erin. Okay, so Erin, um, her pronouns are she, her. She's a trauma, trauma-informed astrology and tarot-obsessed mindset coach. She's a certified trauma of money facilitator, which I am too. Yay, just got my official certificate. Um, so I'm glad to join that larger co- cohort of trauma of money facilitators. So Erin's also a writer, speaker, and founder of Vesta Business School, as well as Terra Incognita Media. She is also a feminist killjoy, proud slut, and podcast host of a podcast called Off the Deep. Her mission in life is to guide fellow spiritual, anti-girl boss, anti-capitalist entrepreneurs toward building businesses that support their emotional and financial well-being without compromising their values. So I'm super excited for you all to listen to this um, beautiful conversation. And so also Erin mentions so many beautiful resources and they're all listed in the show notes. So go and give everyone a follow and begin learning more from, from these amazing educators. Also, 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 a ver. Erin is offering a really special discount to Money Flirt podcast listeners for her workshop, Healing Money Trauma 101. So if you use the code MONEYFLIRT and the link, this will all be in the show notes, um, the link and everything for signing up for the workshop. In the recorded workshop, Erin teaches you the foundations of healing money trauma so you can cultivate resonant and long-lasting financial and emotional well-being. In the workshop, she's going to talk about why standard mindset advice might not be working for you, which is a passion, <laughs> passionate topic of mine too, how your nervous system impacts your relationship with money, how your attachment style plays a role in your daily habits and choices, how you can become so more secure in your uh, attachment style with money and how our perception of ourselves and our money is often filtered through deep 
deep-seated shame and how shame is probably keeping you from what you most desire and how you can shift this. She's also in the workshop talking about the key to cultivating emotional and financial well-being so you can step into your purpose with confidence and clarity and invite a sustainable trauma-informed abundance mindset. So I'm super excited that Erin is offering this that into the world. And like I said, I just admire so much of what she's working on and what she's doing. And lucky for us, we have a 25% discount code, the, use the money flirt. Um, when you are purchasing that workshop, you'll get 25% off. So grateful for this, um, for this discount and this offering. All right, let's get into the episode and I will see you at the end. So welcome, Erin, to the podcast. I'm so excited. I've been stalking your Instagram. As soon as I saw you, I think it was like a reel in your kitchen talking about money, money trauma. And I was just like, this girl, I've got to know her. Like, I love your vibe. I love your style. And most importantly, I love your message. And so I'm so grateful for having you on the podcast. So welcome. Oh, thank you, Steph. It's so nice to be here. I'm really honored. And like, I'm so glad that we connected too. And yeah, we, we were talking before about how we both were in the trauma of money program. And that's, I think how we got connected probably through like shared things on Instagram or something like that. But yeah, I'm, I love your work and I've been listening to the podcast and I just appreciate you bringing these really necessary cathartic healing conversations to light that aren't often spoken about. So I'm really honored and excited to talk to you today. Hey, it's going to be, it's going to be a good one. I know it. So before we get into my first question, I just love to give you space to talk about what it is that you do a little about your business and just give us some context about who you are. Totally. Yeah. So I am, my name is Erin Monahan. My pronouns are she, her, hers, and I am a trauma-informed mindset coach. I am a certified trauma money facilitator I'm a writer, a speaker, and I am tarot and astrology obsessed. I'm the founder of Vesta Business School and also the founder of Terra Incognita Media, which is a feminist response to the outdoor industry. And I am also a feminist killjoy, a proud slut. And uh, yeah, I host a podcast called Off the Deep End. And I talk on there all about entrepreneurship, healing from money, trauma, astrology, tarot, feminism, all the things that I just want to go off the deep end about. I guess my work is mostly focused on helping fellow spiritual anti-girl boss, anti-capitalist entrepreneurs create businesses that feel aligned and uh, cultivate emotional and financial well-being that lasts. Beautiful. I am really excited to talk about your anti-capitalist framework and in business, especially even having gone through trauma of money, it's sort of hard for me to articulate it. So I'm hoping to, to learn from you about how to articulate that position. And before we, yeah, even get into that, I'd love to know your astrology. So your big three. Oh my gosh. Yes. <laughs> I am a Libra sun, a Virgo rising and a Scorpio moon. So I think that's why I love these conversations. What about oh, you? Yes, I love it. So I'm a Cancer Sun. I'm a Gemini Rising and a Pisces Moon. Oh my god, that's so magical! It's pretty. Yeah. It's pretty dope. I was looking yeah. at my feed the other day on Instagram, and it's just words, 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 and that's my Gemini Rising. <laughs> I can't stop. <laughs> that's can't so true. <laughs> oh my god, that's so true. That's perfect. Yeah. 
Yeah. I love it. I love it. So anytime <laughs> you want to like bring that in the conversation, I, I welcome that too. Awesome. <laughs> okay, great. So I love my first question. It's about your childhood with money growing up. So anything that kind of comes to mind about how you were raised, your caretakers, even your culture, your community, anything that sticks out in your mind about money that you've either like noticed or worked through or just anything that, that sticks out for you. Yeah. I like to start off all of the conversations with just being really transparent about my identities and my position of power in the world. And yeah, so it's, yeah, just important for me to be transparent about these things. And so I am a cishet white woman from an upper middle-class background and I have thin privilege and benefit from redlining and gentrification and ongoing colonization. And I also benefit from desirability politics, which I want to credit Tigadonke Sacco. I'm not sure if I'm saying their name right, but they, they're on Instagram. Uh, their handle is the darkest hue where I've learned a lot about desirability politics. So just if anyone isn't aware of of that. Yeah. So I just, it's, I feel responsible to name these things. And mm-hmm. I was inspired to do this through learning from Erica Hart, who is one of my favorite anti-racist educators. It, it just is important for me to name that because I have heightened access to like this entrepreneurial path. And so mm-hmm. with that said, I, yeah, I grew up in a upper middle class white family. It was always kind of this feeling of, we had plenty of, we had enough. Like I was never my material and physical needs were always met and I never worried about food or worried about like if we could afford things. And, but there was always this sense of scarcity still, which is something that I often talk about in terms of like white supremacy culture and how I've noticed that like in the networks and social groups that like I was raised around that like there is this like sense of scarcity still even among people who have all their material needs met white people I mean specifically who have all physical needs met and then there's still this sense of like we have to save we have to hoard which of course the word hoard is not part of that specific or it's not explicitly said but like that is ultimately I think what's going on. And then, and then the sense that like you, there was the sense that we, we earned everything that we had, that there was no conversation about the unearned privilege and power that came from being a white person in the world and the, and the other visions of power that my family has. this lack of acknowledgement around inherited generational wealth. Like just because of being a white person, like that is just there is generational wealth that comes with that in some degree, in some way, shape or form, just benefiting from whiteness as a construct. And there was no acknowledgement of any of that. I just remember there were certain things that my parents, especially my dad, I had, I lived in this very like patriarchal setup and structure. Although my parents would say there was a, there was mutual and equal relationship between my parents and like they definitely wanted their that to be there and like it was never intentional of course that like there is this patriarchal structure but that that was what was happening and and it's very clear that like my mom was more about taking care of like she did most of the caretaking and and taking care of us kids and like conversations around money i just remember them being heavily with my dad if we ever we're talking about money or if there was ever 
conversations about money, like they would have them together. So they were always like, we got, we need to be a team on this, which I appreciated. And at the same time, there was just this deep sense that like, yeah, my dad ultimately is like the person who deals with finances in that way. Although my mom was involved, but it's just like, I think it was also kind of a, a strength thing too, almost maybe, but I don't even want to say that actually, because women are conditioned to not have that role. Right. And so right. it's just totally like structural actually, like that, that that's the thing. And so I just say that because my dad is like a computer engineer. And so he just leans towards loving and, and being interested in organizing and spreadsheets and things like that. Right. But mm-hmm. you don't need, that doesn't necessarily need to be your interest to be quote unquote, good at money or finances, of course. My dad was kind of like the final say of like what money was spent on. And then my mom, she was always kind of more like a little more like flippant about it. (laughs) They would really be on the same page about things. But then when we would go like school shopping or whatever, she'd be like, just don't tell your dad. She would always tell my dad. Sometimes my mom would just give the sense of like a little more, a little more loose when we go to Kohl's. (laughs) <laughs> like mm-hmm. at, I don't know but also there was always coupons being cut and just saving as much as we could I mean I did have four siblings so but there was a sense that like we we had to save as much as we could always get a sale like, so just this like this like mindset of like don't ever pay for something full price mm-hmm. it's just it, I just think that's interesting especially because like now having looking back on my family and understanding how resourced we actually are and so I guess for me, it's just really thinking and reflecting on how white supremacy culture really, that is what it, that is how these structures are created and like systemic oppression continues. It's because as white people, we think we don't have enough ever, we're conditioned to feel that way and then not share our resources or to think that if someone's houseless, it's because they haven't worked hard enough and mm-hmm. we've worked hard for our money. And that was another thing that I grew up around was that this idea that like you aren't working hard enough if you aren't resourced. So I don't know. I could say, obviously I could say a lot more. I've been, I think about this all the time. I'm also still processing a lot of these things, you know, in therapy and and forever and always. But Mm -hmm. I think that's the emphasis is just that like how white supremacy culture feeds this idea of false scarcity, but our brains can't tell the difference between perceived scarcity and real scarcity. So that's been something that I'm looking at. Okay. Wow. False sense of scarcity is exactly as you were talking about that. That's what I, my experience was as well. And I've, I've struggled to really like articulate it. So I'm thank you for, for offering that because I, I also experienced that and have grappled with that where it's like my body knows what scarcity feels like. Why? And it's like, I never went without, I was never hungry. Like you were saying, like, I never, I had the things I needed, but it was just the, the intent fear that was part of the mindset in my household too. And it was just like, yep. False sense of scarcity. And I still struggle with that one. It's like one of my deeper money shadows is like really understanding why I still feel this. And so, yeah, I think this is a really, and this is what in trauma of money we talk about a lot is our shared trauma around capitalism. And that's a huge one where it was like, of course my parents didn't choose to put that scarcity or that fear of money on me. Neither did their parents. It was just like part of the the system 
that we're the water we're swimming in. We can't even, we don't even know that we're swimming in it until we just, so I, yeah. And, and the piece that you mentioned too, about the gender, like the division of labor around finance is fascinating because I think that's in, in many like households, that was such the division of laborers around finance and the same thing happened to me where it was like, dad was in control of all the money, even though my mom worked full-time and they made more or less the same. It was, he was the one in charge of the money and we had to hide when we would go shopping and we would have to don't tell dad. And I learned that (laughs) secrecy around money. And that's been something to unpack too. And to do it in like a compassionate way, like where I still love my parents and I don't blame them, but just like exploring, like now, how does that make, how does that impact my habits? So yeah, it's just so interesting to really go back and, and look at those things. Absolutely. And like, as you're talking, I'm thinking about like just the value of what we, what we buy with our money and like how we, how we decide what's a necessity and what's a luxury and like what is superfluous and what's not. Mm -hmm. And I think a lot from, of, of my unlearning and healing has been like, if I want to buy five coach handbags, like that's okay. Like I'm not bad for wanting that or buying those things. Like it's not necessarily what I want to do or anything, but, Mm -hmm. but just this like belief that like you're only, there's only one good moral. There's all this like morality tied to like these beliefs around money too, which comes from Christianity, Catholicism, I don't know. Yeah. Like, like prosperity gospels. Like, I, I mean, that's something that I've thought about too, which is like, you're bestowed this money because like you're a good person and God is shining down on you. And so you get, I, I don't know. So there's all this like morality around how do you spend your money? And so I grew up in my twenties and stuff. Maybe I'm getting too ahead of myself, but I just wanted to share this piece. But yeah. there's this like sense that like if I spent my money on anything that wasn't a necessity, so if it was like hair clips or scrunchies or like an accessory, because that you know growing up it was like just school clothes, and then it was like which is a huge privilege. And so I, I definitely had like all of these things taken care of for me, and and at the same time there is a sense that like here's what is a necessity, here's what's not. And then that, that translated into me being an adult and then like feeling so much guilt and shame around like buying anything that, se- that my dad would have said was superfluous or luxurious. And then it's like, actually in hindsight, what, what is necessary for me or what is, you know, is different from what my, my dad, who is a cishet white man who doesn't have to worry about the things I have to worry about or that like I, or that I desire, his desires are different than mine or like, Mm -hmm. and also he's repressing a lot of his desires, I think. And I don't know if he'll probably never listen to this podcast, but maybe, maybe will, but yeah, he might, he might not say that, but it's just, anyways, that's just something I've thought about too, is this, this idea of like repressing our desires mm-hmm. around money too, but, or, and the, and the morality around the relationship with money and, and how we spend it. And so then that translates too to like, when I've, when I, people are talking about like, oh, I'm not going to donate to that person because they're just going to go spend it on drugs or they're just going to go spend it on like whatever. And it's like, you, who, who cares how they spend the money? Like if you want to give money because someone's in need, then that's a choice to give money. And it's not your job to decide like what they go and do with that. But anyways, that's, that's totally systemic too. And like, yeah, uh, patriarchal and yeah. You're just reminding me too. I remember like donating money in my household was very much and like within my like larger community, 
growing up was you only donate to the church because like the Catholic church, because that's, they're the ones doing the good work. And so I now thinking about it. It's like, I do, I do struggle a bit with how I, how I donate now, even though like I set aside money to donate it is still like a weird, like I'm going to get it wrong or like give it to the wrong person. And like, I don't like that about Mm -hmm. how I think about it, but it is something that I'm just making connections now. I'm like, oh yeah. Cause I was taught that you got to give the money to, to, to make the most impact. You have to give it to the right person when really you can give it to anyone as long as it's about you circulating the energy and knowing that someone else can exchange that for something that they need. Mm-hmm. So yeah, wow, I'm thinking so much. We're already down in your your Scorpio moon territory. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and it's like why who are we to decide? There's this this like superiority, right? That's what white mm-hmm. supremacy is. It's like and I've learned all of this from anti-racist educators. So obviously like I'm not sitting here saying that I that I have all this knowledge. I hope to just share this and speak out loud that like I've learned these things through people like Erica Hart and Kenya Budd, who is a diversity, equity, inclusion consultant, consultant in Portland, Oregon, and learning from people like Jolie Varela of Indigenous Women Hike and just Theresa Nez. And I just want to name people that I've learned from along the way yeah. that like have helped me to understand these things and black feminists like Bell Hooks and Audre Lorde and Angela Davis. So just to make sure that folks don't think I'm some expert and that I'm not still unlearning. But yeah, just to say that that like there's a superiority around like being a white person and and like being the deciding factor of who deserves the money the most or who mm-hmm. deserves resources the most, which is like this paternal, I think that's what I was looking for before. It's like this, there's like this paternal, like fatherly energy and yeah, structure going on. And that's one of the characteristics of white supremacy culture is like paternalism. Oh my gosh. I want to go to so many topics, but I want to ask as well, how you became interested in this topic of money, money, trauma, anti-capitalism, and really looking into like, especially in the realm of business, it's super fascinating. So how did you arrive in in that space? Yeah, it's really, it is funny because it's like, I never in a million years, never would have thought, yeah, (laughs) that this would be what I talk about or that I'm passionate about. And like, that I'm studying now. So I started Terra Incognita Media because I'm a rock climber and runner. And I was like, I just want feminist media to be out in the outdoor industry. And that was seven years ago. And then building that platform, I was burning myself into the ground and just like working really hard. And then I was like, okay, how can I, like, I want to do this sustainably. Like I really want to like make a living doing this. And I feel, you know, I want to be a writer and make a living doing what I love. And struggling with like we were going down the road of like building a nonprofit and so and we're not anymore that was like a big intentional long process choice but just the idea when we started doing like when we would be selling t-shirts for fundraising and things like that like all this all these feelings around my values are anti-capitalist like I'm I I don't want to be greedy with my money I don't want to hoard my money I'm a white person doing this work how do I take and accept donations for this work. And then just this feeling of like, I can't be trusted with this money or like if I'm, if I'm accepting money for this work, I just felt weird and guilty about it and definitely wasn't making any kind of profit. But I mean, even if I was, I mean, right, like that's, that's okay. But it's just like, I was so always afraid of like someone being like, what are you doing with that money? Let me see the receipts, which is, you know, when you're building a nonprofit, obviously that is something that 
eventually, I mean, you have to like set up the system so that it's there and it's public information. But I was just starting out and I was like, not even letting myself really, like, I didn't even really know how to fundraise, but yeah, I just, I think that the, that was a really uncomfortable thing. So learning years of, of like building that platform, I realized there's not a lot of, there was not a lot of resources out there for people who have anti-capitalist values to like build a platform, to build a business, to build a nonprofit, which is a business, you know, any, anything like that. And I was Googling these things and I saw like Marie Forleo or like Daniel Laporte, I think, or like Amy Porterfield and these white women coaches. That's kind of who I saw out there. I don't know if you've heard of those names, but like heard of the first woman. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. So like these business coaches that like, that just weren't talking about like systems of oppression and like how that impacts building a business, creating an income from the work that you do. So I just really wasn't finding a lot of great resources. And I was studying and unlearning through Black feminist theory. And and so I was just really hyper aware of like my positionality and my unearned power in the world. And I wanted to make sure I was doing it in a way that was as least harmful as possible. And then got into coaching because I wanted to help other people to be to be able to build their own platforms in a way that was aligned with their integrity because I wasn't seeing a lot of people out there at the time. I mean, of course there are a lot of people who are, who are doing this work, but just at the time, like when I did a cursory Google search, there wasn't a lot of folks. So in the mainstream, you know, first couple pages of Google. So then I, I decided to start originally it was called feminist killjoy business school. And then that went into best of business school as I like became less ashamed of my obsession with astrology. (laughs) And then, and then, yeah, then I found the trauma of money program because thank goddess, because like I was just needing more answers around the relationship with money. And and I think that that really just put the pieces together and understanding like our nervous system and how trauma works, but like how that relationship around money is rarely talked about when it comes to trauma, which is so important, right? When we're building businesses and we want to make a living and yeah, just like my own, my own struggles with that. I'd love to know too, your, like, what does it mean to have anti-capitalist values and like, what does that actually look like in your business? Yeah. Oh my gosh. So much. So we cannot truly be anti-capitalist, of course, because we have to participate in capitalism. We're forced to participate in these systems. But, but yeah, I, I do strive to be as anti-capitalist as possible. I love like learning from Trisha Hersey of the Nat Ministry, and she's always talking about how capitalism makes us feel like we have to produce to be worthy and that we can never rest. So I think that's like the first thing is that like capitalism is an exploitative system. It's this producing in excess and consuming consuming at an ever accelerating rate to be able to disrupt that and to not exploit ourselves while we're creating and producing work. And so just like healing our relationship with our energy and our output and peeling away like our worth from like what we produce and what we create and the labor that we put in. And then when it comes to like my business structure, I mean, I'm still figuring out all the time, like, how do I want to price things? How do I want to, how can I offer things that are as accessible as possible? I, I always try to offer scholarships or like free coaching if I can, or free offerings, if I can, or sliding scale, if I can, and just being mindful of like the various ways that people can or can't access the work. 
And then also charging good money and not undercharging. Yeah. And, but just being mindful of how I like to have conversations with people often when it comes to my one-on-one coaching and just be like, here's what this costs, or this is like the investment. And then like have a conversation about like what feels safe for them. And if, if it's a different amount, then we talk about it, which is very different than like, I mean, everyone has their own way of doing everything. Right. Mm -hmm. So like, I, I think that's the key is that like, we all have our different needs and abilities and like things that we, we need from our, our work and from the exchanges that we're in. So there's no one size fits all. I think that's Right. Also a part of like the anti-capitalist ethos is that there's no one size fits all. Yeah. And it's really, I think, brave to even journey into it because it, it's a lot of trial and error because we don't have clear examples and models of what to do. We just, we can look for other people that are right doing it and we can look for inspiration, but yeah, like it's, it is a lot of, cause we're building a new system. So we don't have the status quo at our disposal, which is like, I think, you know, that's obviously a good thing in many ways, but it also requires some tolerance for getting it wrong a lot. And I, I love what you said too, about capitalism as exploitation at, at the heart. And I, I always tend to, to have that bias of like exploiting others and a good example, like fast fashion, the one that people love to, to point to, because it's just a huge industry. But what you also mentioned was exploiting yourself. And that I think is really interesting because it's not something that we're really talking about much. It's always like about exploiting others, but I mean, this is just in the spiritual like conversation is like, put your oxygen mask on first because you can't, if you are burnt out, burnt to a crisp, miserable, sad, depressed, you are of service to no one. Sorry. Right. So it's Mm -hmm. like, yeah, like kind of taking back that perspective to be like, okay, First, let me not exploit myself. Let me honor myself. And then also because by doing that, I shine the light on how it's possible. And I think that's what's so great about what you're doing is we can see through your, your content and what the information you put out. It's like, here I am, like I'm living in my, my truth and my beliefs. And I'm proud of it. And, you know, like you can do this too. And I think that's, what's really cool is like more and more people are, are showing up. And and in order to do that, you have to not exploit yourself. (laughs) Yeah, totally. Totally. And I want to credit Naomi Clark with that. She's a money consultant and coach. She talks about debt, shame-free debt, shame-free, like all about like being shame-free around our relationship with debt. And so Naomi Clark said, I will not exploit myself in my own business. And I love, yeah, her work and her message. And then Toy Smith, Toy Marie Smith also, I don't know if you've seen her work, but she does, she does business for the people and she's amazing. Like I've learned so much from her about anti-capitalist business. She is the go-to for that discussion. And so she's, I've learned a lot and, and did her, um, I took one of her workshops. I can't believe I'm blanking on it right now, but, but she also has a, a, an offering called the spell of capitalism too. So she does so much work around unlearning white supremacy culture and capitalism and just wanted to shout out those folks. You've just listed, I mean, you listed so many people already in this conversation. I'm going to go back and I'm going to have a list 
of everything. Yeah. Yeah, We'll have like a whole nice healthy list in the show notes for this episode. Yes. Go and start following, just follow everyone. Awesome. Yeah. (laughs) Cool. I'd love to know a little bit about just kind of coming back to you personally, what's your current relationship with money? Like what, how do you, do you have any practices in place or kind of what are your goals right now? What are you working on? Yeah, that's a great question. My goals are to pay off my debt. (laughs) Got some debt, some credit card debt. Um, So I'm going to pay that off soon or I hope. And yeah, I guess like long-term goals, I want to be able to help my family and like help friends with my money, like, you know, get to a point where like, it's easy to, to help my family and friends. And I don't really have any like I don't really have any like big, to be honest, yeah, I don't really have any like big plans right now or purchases that I'm like thinking about or investments. I'm pretty content with things that I have in the moment and like my apartment and things like that. I think, yeah, just paying off my debt is really my goal right now. <laughs> like yeah. Paying these things off is, is truly what's, what's on my mind. And then my relationship with money is still, I, I know that the podcast is called The Money Flirt and to introduce a more flirtatious relationship mm-hmm. with your money. And I was thinking about it and I'm like, yeah, I don't feel flirtatious with my money. Like, I, and I think that's great. Like if people, you know, if that is such a beautiful message, but I just personally think that I've been a little too flirty with my money. Mm. <laughs> what does that mean for you? I'm so curious. <laughs> Just, I mean, I guess when we were talking about overspending, to me, I just feel like, so I guess first I'll just say that like, yeah, my general feeling around money right now is just, it's healing Mm -hmm. and I'm just like in process of healing it. Mm -hmm. And like, as always, and just like making sure that I'm checking with my body and whenever I'm making a purchase as much as I possibly can. And then just like, even when I walk into like a target to just like center and ground myself <laughs> so that I don't, <laughs> but you know, I just, you know, I like to sometimes go to that dollar section at target and buy some things. And, <laughs> but yeah. So when, when it comes to like the flirtatious aspect, I think I've been a little too flirty. And what that means to, for me is that I think about how well, right away, like what came up in my subconscious was like last spring, I had like the biggest sales in my business and I was so excited. <laughs> I was recently just dumped as well. And I like went and did, got my hair done and and got like, you know, did spent a lot of money on, on my hair, which I've never been able to do before. And then went on a couple Bumble dates and I, I treated the guy on the date. <laughs> and mm. to this day, I cringe. <laughs> To this day, I fucking cringe. But at the time, I was like, I got it. (laughs) He was a nice guy, but it was just like, why did I never, never, even if I have the money? No. Mm -hmm. (laughs) But it was just like, to me, I guess in the moment, I was just like, yeah, I can do this. Like, and it felt good. And it, it reminds me of like your story of overspending when you're talking about getting your paycheck and then wanting to treat your friends. And I mean, your friends were definitely probably more deserving than this guy who I never saw again, (laughs) but who I basically was educating the whole time about like systems of oppression pretty much. So it's like, why did I, why? But anyways, so I just think about that and it's like, I want to have a more, I don't know, like I'm trying to just have like a grounded relationship with my money. And I think I, I do. I mean, it's definitely better than it was a couple of years ago. Yeah. It's a process. I mean, yeah, it's, it's the reason I'm, I'm so interested in it is that everybody has a relationship to it. You mm-hmm. can just, if you're in, in their society, you have a relationship to money. 
Totally. And it's something that like not everybody has a relationship to XYZ. You know, maybe they don't have like strong friendships, but they have a they damn well have a relationship with money. And it's that's what I'm so interested in. And like and the flirty piece too is it, as you were saying that, it's like really funny because I even ebb and flow for sure. I'm like definitely not, I've not figured it all out at all. Yeah. But I know what it feels like to start to feel lighter around it and to feel mm-hmm. more comfortable and to feel like an equal too with money. And yeah, one of the reasons I, I had that experience was when I was on a vacation that I had fully funded for the first time. And that was such a trigger for me because I had used, I used to go traveling and just put it on credit card with no means of paying it off. Or yeah, like friends would have to spot me and have to spot me, but that was in that situation on repeat too. And so I finally felt safe and and, and in a luxury experience that I had always wanted. And so that's where I was like, okay, this is my North Star. I'm always like a couple steps back, a couple steps forward, but I, now I know what it feels like. And so it's like, that's what, that's what I, I aim for. I love that. Yeah. Thanks for sharing that. As you're talking and saying, like, I want to aim to be, to feel safe. I think if I'm not, I want to make sure I'm like getting your words right. But is that what you said? Like mm-hmm. to feel safe with feeling safe with sending your money and, and just your relationship with money. Yeah. I think that's, that really hits it for me is like, I just want to cultivate like a feeling of safety with my money and my relationship with it. And I, and I mean, that is always, in it it does seem like it is like kind of always in flux because there is conditioning that -hmm. we're always unlearning around it. And then, yeah. And then, I mean, there is, there are times when I have more money or less money in my bank account. And so there's, it's, it's definitely a, like you're saying, like a practice for me to be with those feelings and to like tend to myself in those moments and to be with the reality and accept what's what it is. And then this makes me think about like the ways that I would cope before like having a new relationship with it where I'm not, um, where I'm coping in, in different ways. If I feel in scarcity or like if I feel, and I, and I check in with myself and I'm like, are you, are you actually safe in this moment? Are you not? Like, is this, are you unsafe? Is, are you really safe? Like, that kind of thing, nervous system work and all that. Yeah. Oh yeah. Oh my gosh. Totally. I want to ask you my last question, um, which is tell me about what it means to you to have a rich life. Oh my gosh. Amazing question. I think this is a great question. And I, and I was just like, I'm just going to say like whatever was coming up for me. So yeah. So this idea of like be feeling rich to me feels like, I, I guess I feel like I want it to feel spacious and like open and like that I can feel luxurious no matter like what is in my bank account and no matter, yeah, what, what I physically materially have when I can go for like a walk in the park and enjoy myself and be present. I think that's when I feel rich and that's hard sometimes because it's not, it's really hard to feel present in these systems. And, and, and then I also thought about how like richness to me feel, is like the spectrum of emotions. So not forcing myself or putting pressure on myself to just constantly have to put a positive spin on everything or to like, I mean, I'm the opposite of the, of someone who's, I, I never associated myself with like someone who's like the word, the word positive was always the opposite of like me, even though I like have very pink things and very bright mm-hmm. colors and things like that. But yeah, I just, I love to be able to feel like the spectrum of emotions and, and encourage folks to do that. Cause I feel like, especially we didn't really talk about manifesting or anything like that, but the idea that like to manifest your dream life and business and like the things that you want, like you have to be vibe high. I just think that, yeah, to cultivate richness in your life, like requires 
to feel the whole spectrum of feelings Mm -hmm. too. Yeah, absolutely. Beautifully said. It's so true. Yeah. How boring life would be if you're just vibing high all the time. Like it's the point. (laughs) Yeah. It's impossible. It's It's inhuman. And it's make, I, I have found at least like within, you know, just using business as an example is when there are lows, it makes the successes feel sweeter or like a little bit more like they're richer, (laughs) literally. Like they are, they're so infused with a whole host of experiences and growth and uncomfortable feeling that it makes it really, really sweet. And not in the way that it's like, oh, I worked really hard for it, but it was like, I went through a lot to get here. And that's what I love about business and like entrepreneurship. Cause I think this is the way of like, you know, forward in these in creating new systems is just like us taking claim, like reclaiming too a bit of how we earn money and how we treat it. And so love it. Yeah. Host of emotions is, is paramount. We're two water moons over here. So <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I know. Yeah. And like just totally detaching that. I think neutral, maybe finding neutral space around like the fluctuate, like our, like not judging ourselves. Yeah. For the emotions that we have around money and like how it always, how it fluctuates and how we're dynamic human beings. And so not attaching meaning to like our worth with the the money, the dollar amount in our bank account. Oh my God. Yes. Be well said. I could talk to you forever. I, I know. Have <laughs> we'll have to do some kind of collaboration in the future. Yeah. Like to work together. I would love that. Yeah. I think that our, like what we offer is, is aligned and also yeah. different, you know, where it's like, you know, I think that we could help like learn from each other and help others. So totally. I would love that. Yeah, absolutely. So just let us know where we can find you, things that you're working on and anything else you'd like to share with the listeners. Yeah. Um, well, my handle on Instagram is at Aaron.k.monahan. And my website is AaronKmonahan.com. And well, Vesta Business School is going to be open for enrollment starting March 21st. So we're our, we're kicking off the spring equinox with Vesta Business School. And I have a free masterclass coming up called Embodied Entrepreneurship on March 20th. So I don't know if that will be after this is published or not, but that's, you know, I have like free offerings and things like that over on, on, in my corner of the internet. If folks are interested, I have a free training called healing strategies for embodied entrepreneurs. Mm -hmm. So yeah, I think that's, I'm usually on Instagram and that's where you can probably find me. Yeah. (laughs) All right. Well, thank you so much for being here and sharing all of the resources as well. I'm excited to, to, put this list together and have people just like exposed to new ideas, new ways of thinking about business and yeah, having some practical advice too. So I appreciate your time and for you just getting to know you has just been so great. I knew it would, I knew it would be. (laughs) Yeah, no, it was so fun. Thanks for having me, Steph. It's been really awesome. Okay. Bye. Bye. All right, that's the episode. I don't have too much else to to add other than just it was such a such a pleasure talking with Erin. She we had like planned this like months ago and just like finally getting to meet her and hear 
her wisdom and start to connect with her more deeply. It's been really wonderful. I love having these conversations. They're so healing for me and I hope they're the same for you. Um, yeah. And just let me know how this episode landed for you. Um, I know there's a lot of ideas that are stirred up in the conversation around anti-capitalism and what it means. And so hopefully you have a better sense of, of how different people are putting this framework into action because it's really our duty and our responsibility to, to create the system that we want to see moving forward. And so having these conversations about our values, about um, making, dismantling and building a new system. And the thing is, it right? It's like starting over is, is hard work. It's easier to go with the status quo, but when the status quo is so harmful and works for so few people in, in our society, it's time. It's time to put in the work. It's time to dismantle and get our hands dirty. And we're going to fuck up along the way, right? We are going to fuck up, but that's no reason to not start at least questioning um, our systems and you know, when when ready and we feel equipped building new ones. And so I thank Aaron so much for being that inspiration and being a voice, a strong voice in the the community. I'm so excited to just continue witnessing her journey and being part of it. And yeah, being part of the trauma of money official (laughs) facilitator cohort. So yeah, I will see you guys in the next episode. And that's all awkward. Goodbye. (laughs) 